0: hello and welcome to this sustainable wine podcast this is a recording of a conference session that took
1: place on the second or third of june 2021 as part of sustainable wines future of wine americas conference 2021 we'd very much like to thank the sponsors of that conference bsi bodega argento jackson family wines international wineries for climate action and avena thank you to all of those groups for their important support and i hope you enjoy the session
2: So this panel is tasked with discussing migrant labor and kind of the larger context around migrant labor. And what I thought we would do is we have some ad hoc folks joining us this morning to bring, really bring insightful perspective and voices to the dialogue that we have. And um, I would like to invite Elizabeth Streeter, who is the strategic director of programs, right, at the United Farm Workers, Um, into the conversation with us this morning um, to maybe set the tone for how we're going to, how this discussion is going to evolve over the next hour. We're welcoming Mike Swanton and Mike will describe his role and his jobs. And then we've got Steve, and Mike is the boots on the ground. And then we've got Steve Mathiason who we're putting forward as the solution. Or one of the solutions or one of the many answers to the problems okay so um so we're kind of going we're going to kind of evolve our way through the discussion and then we'll circle back so Elizabeth could I ask you if you would um introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your role
1: sure thing um my name is Elizabeth Strader uh I am the director of strategic campaigns for the United Farm Workers um, I'm based in California, but certainly do a lot of my work in other regions as well, especially Washington State. And, uh, yeah, we're um, really focused this year on elevating the conversation of the different ways that um, farm workers, including migrant farm workers, um, are at some intersections of being vulnerable to uh, a number of risks and, and looking at pragmatic and um, collaborative ways that we can uh, address some of those risks and minimize some of those harms.
2: Great, that is a, that is a big job. <laughs> Thank you very much for, uh, for being here to shed some light on what that entails for sure. And Mike, would you please tell us about yourself and your role?
3: Sure, I'm uh, Mike Swanton. I'm a, a Napa Valley uh, Housing Commissioner, a Napa County Housing Commissioner. I'm the uh, Napa Valley Vendors Rep on the Housing Commission uh, our main directive is to oversee the operation of our three farmworker centers here in Napa Valley, uh, Mondavi down in uh, Stagley, uh River Ranch in St. Helena, and the Calistoga one. We uh, house 180 guys uh, uh, throughout the year for 11 months out of the year. And uh, uh, we oversee everything. It's been a hell of a challenging year with the uh, COVID and everything. The county owns the facilities and uh, the uh, CHD California uh, uh, Development runs them and so we oversee we just got done passing the budget and seeing what's going on uh, i'm also uh, the chair of the um uh, farm, the Napa valley vendors the uh Markman farm worker committee which used to be father john brenkel who's still on the committee and we oversee things and we fund things from the cinco de mayo uh, because the county budget has some shortfalls and we uh put that money in but so twice a year, uh, twice a month I'm um, filled in on the status and what's going on with the uh, uh, farm worker centers and I also go out and see the guys an awful lot um, you, you, you just can't do everything by word of mouth you have to get out there and see it and uh, uh, they've been there for 20-30 years they're uh, um, a work in progress they're deteriorating and we have to take them and so um, I try and keep in touch with that
2: Great. Well, thanks for giving us a snapshot of your busy day <laughs> there. And Steve, can you would you kindly introduce yourself to our, our audience here and talk a little bit about what you're doing at Matthiason Wines?
0: Yeah, so my name's Steve Matthiason. We have a small, my wife Jill and I have a small family winery and, and grape farming operation here in the Napa Valley. Um, and we have 17 employees and about half of them work in the vineyard and half of them work in sales or the seller or administration, that sort of thing. Um, um, we farm about 55 acres. And so it's, we've, as we've built this little thing, we've had, we've, um, you know, encountered sort of how do we, um, you know, employ on the farming side in, in, in a, in a way that kind of works for us and our business needs and our values. And so it's been, um, it's been, you know, when a little strong words, when you say the solution, because this is a work in progress, you know, we have a whole system and that is geared to certain cost of things and, and wages and expectations and, and uh, also the, the, the traditional way of working that, you know, so we have to, so we're, you know, so how do we, we're trying to figure out how to navigate that and, incrementally try to improve things in our at, at our place. And um we've learned some things along the way for sure. And and um, we're not there yet though by any means.
2: Right. But it's a work in progress, but there are a lot of moving parts, but you have established best practices that you can share. Uh, you can share with others because the whole point of this type of this type of session is we don't need to reinvent the wheel. We need to Look at best practices and see how we can move forward. And we learn need to learn from Mike's insights, and we need information from Elizabeth about the bigger picture.
0: Mm-hmm. So, yeah, thank, thank
2: you, folks, for the introductions. Now, when I, I talked with Elizabeth yesterday, and something she said really made a very sobering point to me. And so I'm going to I'm going to repeat that, and then ask Elizabeth if she would talk a little bit about the top priorities in terms of the migrant labor force. Mm -hmm. And we'll kind of start at ground zero and we'll go from that discussion, then hopefully segue to some of Mike's insights and best practices, and then move on to the best practices that Steve has. So Elizabeth said to me that the, and if I get this wrong, Elizabeth, correct me right out of the gate, that the average life expectancy of a migrant farm worker is 49 Mm -hmm. years. And as someone who is approaching 60 very quickly, that's sobering. That's very sobering to me. So, Elizabeth, can you, can you share with us uh, some of the priorities that we discussed yesterday for migrant laborers? Yeah,
1: sure. Uh, that, that is a statistic that is, um, you know, it is something that can, that can sort of uh, set a tone in a conversation or it can really ruin a dinner party, I got to tell you. But um, it it especially was, uh, you know, very present in our minds as the, and and I know for whether it's on the worker side, the advocate side, or the employer side, it's prevalent on people's minds, especially when we were really racing to try to have um, vaccine allocations uh, for farm workers. You know, when we're when 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 they're telling us, okay, so farm workers. uh, you know over 65 you know farm workers you know uh, you know and these ages were, were changing and, and and things like that you know we really had a lot of anxiety thinking about that number thinking about that um that number and and the reason there's you know i am not a you know i i'm i'm not a researcher I, I i don't spend a lot of time in the data of the you know in the science of the data um but there's just so many contributing factors that cause that um life expectancy rate to be so low. Um, The work itself is dangerous. Um, Same as, you know, there are many physical injuries uh, in uh, all sorts of different industries. You know, when you're talking about construction workers, when you're talking about um, Amazon delivery uh, contractors, like there's rates of high rates of injury. There's lots of different types of dangerous work. Um, You know, then there's also some of the more chronic issues um, that, that could come with pesticide exposure that could come with um, you know, uh, a frequent cycle of uh, approaching dehydration or heat exhaustion, things like that. Certainly, those things can can add up to chronic problems. But I think a good portion of it, also, you really have to look at the social context. And that's where these intersections come in. You know, these are um, folks that are um, far more likely to have, um, you know, uh, instability in their housing, they are far, far less likely to have uh, any social safety net from the state or federal government. They are far more likely to be living in uh, in poverty. They are far more likely to have, um, you know, to be disenfranchised from the political system. They are uh, overwhelmingly unlikely to have ongoing uh, preventative health care, uh, have access to um, Information, medication or treatment for chronic conditions that are really common in and um, you know, all sorts of uh, other sort of social demographics, but um, when you sort of see all these intersection intersecting lines and realize that this is also just a community that has so thoroughly um, increasingly over the, the last you know thirty years, especially they have lived in the shadows in a really big way and that they are less likely to seek out any type of care or intervention for themselves or for their families because they are um, more likely to be undocumented or living in a mixed status household. So all of these things really combine. It isn't that, um, that the labor itself is, is, is pushing this, uh, this life expectancy down. I mean, there's an element of that probably, but the, the labor itself is not extraordinarily different than um, other types of, uh, you know, of, of manual labor. It's these intersecting social factors that really create uh, you know, that huge discrepancy. And in, in your in, in the in the Napa region especially, you, it, it is a smaller proportion of uh, migrant workers as opposed to folks that are. Um, yeah, I mean these are your neighbors. They their kids go to school at the same place yours do, and, and you know as employers, and it, it, it that's, that's a that's a less vulnerable population as you probably know full well. Um, and then there are those peak season and times, but there's other regions where the majority of the farm labor is performed by migrant labor. And 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 that's a different, it's a different conversation. It's a different landscape.
2: I agree. And I, I realize today our panel, uh, we have folks that, of course, from Napa Valley and Napa, Napa and in some ways, Cal OSHA are viewed as a model for other states um, in terms of how these, these very complex and myriad issues can be addressed or begin to be addressed and, and how we might find a, a, a better uh, solution for helping migrant laborers um, live a better quality of life and have a, be- a longer life for that matter. Um, very, very fundamental. Um, earlier, in a session earlier this morning, Carissa Cruz from Sonoma Valley Wine Growers um, shared a statistic that was very encouraging, and it's and because we had talked about vaccine inequity, um, uh, Elizabeth and I had talked about it, and Krista shared with me that over six thousand of the far, of the farm workers in Sonoma County have been vaccinated. That's an extremely high rate. And I see Mike shaking his head. So maybe this is a good a good segue to talk to Mike about what does that picture look like in Napa Valley.
3: Um we are a model rather than uh, the exception and just simply everyone who owns a vineyard in Napa Valley is assessed ten dollars per acre and that all goes to no fun now we have 50,000 acres planted well that comes out to a fair amount of money and that all goes into this farm worker housing now the farm worker housing that we have here it's only uh we house 180 guys uh that's three at 60 and so our 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 workforce, uh, as far as vineyards goes, pretty much goes from 4,500 to about 7,500 during the year, depending on harvest, uh, whatever we're doing. Right now, we're in a bit of a low point because we're going through bloom, but we're gonna hit it hard pretty soon. Yeah. Um, but that being said, we are the model and we try and be the model for a lot. We really pay attention to our workers a lot. Um, in our centers, we do a lot of education. There's not only the Napa Valley Vintners, are, it's, 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 it's foremost in their programs, uh, the Napa Valley Grape Growers, the Farm Worker Foundation, the Farm Bureau. We got an awful lot of organizations here that are all pulling in the same direction. We're all pulling on the same rope in the same direction as far as the farm workers go. And there's a bit of a thing you have to understand when you talk about our migrant farm workers. We're not necessarily talking about um, uh, workers coming from foreign countries um, um, across the border to here. A lot of our migrant workers, they come here and they work during the week and then they'll go home to Fairfield, to Fresno, to Stockton. And so they travel to their homes there and then they come here and live here and work here. Um, Housing in Napa Valley is unbelievable. Um, As far as prices go, it's unrealistic to um, um, try and have those guys work here. And I just said a real thing. I said to have those guys work here, we're very much concentrating on um, family and female uh, workers now, because we're finding out that about at least 25%, if not a third of our workforce now is female workers out in the vineyard. Um, And we're trying to take that into account. We're pushing something through right now we're trying to get more housing we're trying to get we're not going into this uh male unaccompanied male only model anymore we're going more towards family and especially towards women we need to have them housed because we understand that migrant comes here they work they need a place to stay when they're here but they don't necessarily live here and it's almost impossible. We pay more than about any other place, uh, any other county. As far as farm workers go, we're 20 to $22 an hour. We lost a lot of guys during um, uh, the COVID because they went into the construction business which is paying 30 to $35 an hour. Uh, at this time of year, we, we've always had 100% occupancy. Right now we're at about 83%. We're actually having to advertise <laughs> to get guys in there. Um, but for $14 a day, they get three meals, they get a bed, they get a place to hot shower, um, they get a residence. Uh, uh, education, we have education all the time there. Um, uh, not only uh, computer skills, Spanish to English and English to Spanish, um, all kinds of things. We, we really try and do that. Healthcare for um, the COVID, we pushed, we had to push so hard when it first came out the city of California with who was gonna get it first. Who was going to get a second? Who was going to get a third? We pushed so hard because we're ag. Um, The vineyards didn't know the COVID. And so our farm workers had to keep going. We couldn't just say time out. And so we all had to be shoulder to shoulder out there. And we had to push extremely hard and we got it. Uh, We got um, um, local agencies uh, uh, involved in that. And we got a lot of vaccines in arms. Right now, we're at about 98% in all three of our farm worker facilities. Um, We actually had the head of public health Dr. Karen Lucio in Napa, out there administering shots in our uh, farm worker centers. And um, for the holdouts, the other 2% that have crazy ideas on why they're not getting it, uh, we're we're sending respected members of the community out there to talk to them and straighten them out. And so... uh, one-on-one
2: mentoring, one-on-one
3: vaccine mentoring. Sure, Okay. You can put it that way. I prefer to say that we're leaning on them a little bit because Okay.
2: Well, (laughs) great. All right.
3: Well, um, uh, during the COVID uh, we had a community fund that um, uh, provided money. When we had to isolate the guys, they were very worried about if they had to be isolated, they couldn't make money. And so they would rather take off. We had a community fund that actually paid them when they were isolated. So we try and do everything that we possibly can. Napa County understands that our farm workers, our vineyard workers are our lifeblood. And there's no doubt about that. And that's another thing is that, a vineyard worker is not necessarily the only type of farm worker. All the guys in our cellars, all the guys in our production areas, they're all our farm workers and we need all of them. So the vineyard workers are very important, but for the winery industry, we need farm workers and 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 and, and, and it's a big deal to us. Uh, we know that they can't all live here because the cost is, is, is just out of sight. But Fairfield, Santa Rosa, Sonoma, even American Canyon if you start going down south. And so we try and understand the problem and we're trying to deal with the problem as much as we can.
2: Well, Mike, it seems like you're doing more than dealing with it. It seems like you're providing some solutions at any rate for Napa, which is the ex- is is a model, but it's an it's an exception in that it is the model. So yeah. we have to we have to try in my mind have to look at all the hard work that you're doing and try to look at what could be, what we could take from that and apply elsewhere to try to address, you know, some of the more systemic issues that we have. Something that came up um, earlier this morning in a panel we had on empowerment was the, and also with my conversation with Elizabeth, was that I see, I hear you saying that you're teaching soft skills. You're teaching communication, you're teaching computer, you're teaching soft skills. It's not just training related to job training. It's, it's people training. And that's one of the things that comes up as being really um, essential when you're talking about a disenfranchised population or a disenfranchised group is how these people can advocate for themselves when they have this, you know, this immigration status looming over their heads at all times and how can they learn to advocate for themselves and what kind of training can be put in place to help them advocate in spite of some of the, the really pressing challenges they face.
3: And that's a real good point. Uh, even uh, uh, prior to COVID, one of the big issues was ICE, was all the immigration, and uh, we got the local law enforcement uh, to go to all three centers and talk to the guys about the difference. Is if you have to, if you encounter local law enforcement or if you encounter ICE, and it's one hundred and eighty degrees away. Well, we had to get there and we had to talk to them in their language about what to do with ICE. You zip it up. But with the local with local law enforcement, it's the exact opposite. You tell them exactly what they're asking. Um, they're on your side around here. Uh, uh, the, the local uh, um, um, chief of police here in Calistoga, Mitch Salaya, he goes out of his way to help us. Uh, and, and he sends me officers and we go out, we talk to the guys, we let them know. And so there's always this issue. So before it was ice, then it was COVID. We're just getting out of COVID. I, don't, I have no idea what it's going to be next, but something's going to happen.
2: Well, it sounds like you're gonna be, you're going to be prepared to prepare to deal with it in an effective way. So there's a vote of confidence there for the work that you're doing. So let's say go to Steve and give Steve some airtime. And I apologize, Steve, if I overstretch in in trying to characterize what you're doing as a solution, but I really I really think you need to have credit for the best practices that you've established. So
0: no, thanks you know, there's, it, it's like the, the deeper you get into it, the more you find out all these little things. Like we were talking about COVID and health, and we talked about, Liz mentioned healthcare. And, and so, you know, you, you, it's that you peel an onion because you, because um, it's difficult. It doesn't, it's not, at least it doesn't come necessarily, ob- Um, it's, it's not obvious sometimes the considerations that someone who is, has maybe sketchy, Documentation, or or is has a um a lot of different economic constraints that to put yourself in their shoes. Um, so for example, healthcare. Um, so we provide we provide um, hundred percent, you know, Kaiser for all of our employees and fifty percent for their family members. So that's a lot of money, and so you think, okay, now you got now you have health insurance, and then, well, why aren't why aren't you using it? The copay, and so, um, and so, in order to get people to, you know, so you spend. It's it, we realize we're spending like five thousand dollars a person on healthcare, and the number of people aren't using it because, you know, the um, the copays add up, and so, so then, so then, a hundred dollar a month stipend, all of a sudden now it's like, oh, now we'll go, and in, and in, in, um, you know, and make use of this health insurance that, you know, so, so, I mean, that was a pretty, that's, that that is a small investment, but without that, we weren't getting, people weren't actually using the health insurance that we're paying for. And so, you know, so that's just an example of trying, of trying, of trying to get in and understand where people, same, same thing with ESL. You know, we, we, we say, okay, well, um, Farmworker Foundation has really good classes. Some of the, some work-related stuff, like train the trainer on forklift or, Tractor safety, but they also have leadership or some, you know, plenty of ESL, but also like computer skills. So we always, but they also, there's the um, community college with ESL, but then we, you know, so we're like, okay, we always have a policy. Well, we'll pay for the community college. We'll pay anyone, you know, if you want to go take classes, we pay for it. It's like 500 bucks. It's not that big of a deal. Yeah. But again, it's um, if someone, some, you know, we work big hours in agriculture and then we realize that again, why, why is nobody doing this? If they're on the clock when they do it, then they go, are happy to go do it. But to, but if you've worked for 10 hours and then you take time away from the, you know, it's like, it's not going to happen basically because everyone's tired and they want to be with their family. And so, so it's like, so we've, we're, we're learning these like little things to, um, so people can actually use some of these programs is, as, as, because there, we do have a lot of resources here in Napa, but it's also no kidding that it's super expensive. Um, and and um, like with the with the covid shots we had um, you know the farm workers got in really early but then we have multi-generations in the household and a lot that we had a lot of fear on our uh, with our staff that like their parents are living with them and have diabetes or something how are they going to get shots or the teenage teenager is also living with their and they're not being as safe as everyone would like and so we sort of had to sort of Bring them on a little bit on paper so they could get in on the shots and try to get everybody going. And so, um, um, because, and the documentation status, a lot of people are fearful of just making use of services, you know. So, so we had, so there, you know, we, we, everyone wasn't totally comfortable going and getting their shots because they were afraid they'd have to put, give their ID or something like that. And it, it's just an unknown, you know. And so, it's just, it's kind of like Mike has said, sometimes we pull in, we have friends that, um, maybe, maybe came up, you know, many years ago. And so for Mexico and now are like, we have one friend who's a, who's a male nurse who um, came up like maybe 30 years ago from Mexico when he was a kid. But like, so sometimes we'll have to, we'll ask if he can please talk to our employees and assure them that it's okay if they go to the hospital or it's okay if they, you know, go get their shot, that sort of thing. And so there's a lot of work that's not obvious necessarily for you to um for to um kind of for people to actually use the services that you're trying to provide you know that um the, the the fact that we have more women working in the vineyards is another thing because you know so we've had to do a ton of sexual harassment trainings so that women are comfortable working in the vineyards and we have to like watch that like a hawk um and um and all the kind of stuff has come out of that that's been a huge education and so you know we like maria we just promoted her to um to be a crew leader and you know and so you know we we, it, we had someone a couple years ago that wasn't comfortable taking direction from a woman and we've tried to um you know do more and more training so that she so that um you know that people understand our company culture and, and um, I think we're making a lot of headway there. I think every, right now everybody is on board, but some people have taken a little bit longer than others, you know. And so um, um, finding ways for, for um, he, full-time employment year-round. And so, that, you know, we have the advantage that we also we have a winery and a vineyard. So, so we, we've, we we're able to schedule our bottlings for during the slow times in the vineyard so we can jump in and out of the cellar. And, um, and, you know, it's a little challenging because when you're working in a winery, it's a 40 hour week. When you're working in a vineyard, it's a 60 hour week. So we, so we kind of have to, cause we're small enough that we, we haven't shifted to the, to um, less than 60 hours yet. And so we, um, so we'll, so we have to sort of plan that out, you know, really well, but then and we save all of our sort of like, if we're going to jump undo and like landscaping around the, the, you know, the winery. We'll do that at the same week as bottling, that sort of thing. And so some planning, but it's really great because we're able to get um, the quality, like for, for bottling versus, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty traditional in the wine industry to just to work with a labor contractor to get a crew to come in for bottling, because it's all of a sudden you need like a bunch of people stacking boxes and packing wine in boxes. And, and we do it with our own people and the quality control is like, so much better because there's they have a lot of pride in what in in our business and so so like they're they're looking at oh, that label is a skew or has a rip in it put it off to the side you know and so so we have all this advantage by keeping people employed year round that really comes we you know definitely comes back to the business versus you know there's always in agriculture it's always been the mentality is I, I need a bunch of bodies we get the job done and get rid of them as fast as possible so we don't you know see you know we're done with that job and you don't want to keep those people in the books that's the mentality and that's where why so you know i work with like, the whole concept of migrant you know people come in and then hopefully they go oh away and So so trying to figure out how to organize our business year in such a way that we have cons- um, a, a year, year-round employment and is a little ch- is challenging but then because logistically but the but it's the benefit like is it's unbelievable in terms again in terms of quality control in the winery quality control in the vineyards you know like so like and you know harvest is an example traditionally harvest is piece rate um, yeah. even you know f- you know and 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 there's an expectation on the part of people working in the vineyard that you're going to make a bunch of money during harvest. Um, and so we, we had a whole situation that we have like, like that when you're picking the grapes, you pick them into like your harvest you, into the lug basically. And it's not light. And so there, there, there was the UC Davis came out with a new design 10 or 15 years ago. That's more ergonomic. It's a little taller and a little smaller and you can't fill it as much. And so it's a lot better, but, it's still we have some of the women that work in the vineyard that don't have the arm strength to lift it up and dump it but you know but they're really fast at picking so we are so some of the younger men because cat is some of the younger men who would pick it up and dump the dump them for them but then they were getting resentful because it's like well I'm, I'm not making i'm doing more work and making the same money or making less money Be, and and so we we came up with all these ideas like well we switch maybe it's a dollar 25 to fill a lug and 25 cents to dump it it got we had all these complicated solutions and we we're trying to make it fair for everybody and finally and when and what you know one solution would just go to hourly and just do a 10 hour ten dollar an hour bump dirt well, where we're picking grapes we, 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 we couldn't figure it out and we basically just said, had a meeting and with all of, uh, everyone works in the vineyard, we just put it up to a vote basically. Here's, we brainstormed. does anyone else have any ideas? And we, and everyone just voted on it. And, and we, and the winning was we just, it's hourly, it's $10 an hour bump. Everyone had their chance. We all talked about it. We voted and kind of solved that problem. And so, so the beauty of that is now we can pick out. We can be very particular in how we pick because since, since we got peace rate off the table, now it, everyone's happy to slow down a little bit. And this vine's ripe. This vine's not ripe. This uh, well, this other vine's ripe. And so our quality goes like this. And you know, and this you know, so that experience. Then it's like, well, how? What other? How can we? So now, so if we can, I learned from that is if we can bring everybody in on a decision on how we're going to do things, even something like pay. so it's not just like maybe a vote on how the best way to move the wires or something, but literally a, a company issue like pay, then the buy-in is there. And so, and it's, um, because often, you know, the top down, then you, there's resentment and people are talking and, you know, it, it's, it's, it, it, the buy-in is huge and so this, this communication and hey you know here's what we're trying to achieve here's what we can do and talking it through and so, so this you know it's just um um being humans basically and it's, ama- and it's amazing how that benefits back to the business That's has been really cool thing about it it's, you know it's it's um it's a feedback loop
2: All right well the, you, you make the return on that investment of time. And of thought, the, the amount of thought and patience that you put into navigating this um, is, is considerable, but you see the return on that investment. Yeah, exactly. my, I guess my question, and I have to throw this back at Elizabeth, I put the ball in your court, is to say, how many, how many wineries, how many producers will Take the time and effort that Steve has taken. Steve and Jill have taken here to collaborate with their workers.
1: Well, I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't want to break it down by uh, by the numbers, but uh, or or make two points of, of a comment on on that. But I will say, you know, I I think that you know when folks. Uh, like Steve are, are putting in the effort to do things the right way. Um, And, you know, you get kind of the same thing in advocates too. You know, you get the same things in social advocates, you get the same thing in labor advocates. If they're disconnected from the workforce, you know, I've seen, I've watched, uh, you know, I've watched a a, a group of, you know, five uh, advocates that are, you know, experts in their field on, on how best to help Uh, you know, farm workers, for example, and they've got a piece of policy, they've got a compromise and they'll sit there and they'll spin on 10 things forever. And then you just say, Hey, come here, go talk to the farm workers who are doing the work, who are living this experience. And the farm workers will hear, you know, these 10 points and they'll be like, I do not give a shit about four of those things. They do not actually have an impact on my life. And so, the only person that knows, the people that know the work the best are the people that do the work. Uh, the people that know the, you know, the the risks and the protections and, and the improvements are, that are possible are the people that are living it. And, you know, until you have that sort of uh, holistic look at it, uh, especially when it comes to the expectations around things like wages and peace rates, it's, it's, a, it's a really hard culture to change on both sides, both the employers. Um, and, and it's also, you know, there, there are real reasons why, why in, in some regions, in some industries, in some sectors that workers do prefer it. But, um, you know, there are, there are some, you know, you and I talked some yesterday about some of the, um, the, the issues with um, peace rate, for instance, during severe, heat, severe temperatures. You know, if you're dealing with um, really toxic AQI or you're dealing with, um, you know, temperatures that are consistently over 100 degrees every day. Um, that peace rate is, that perver- is a perverse incentive to push the body beyond what it's meant to endure. And, you know, you really do have to have a collective conversation with, uh, you know, with your worker community and, uh, you know, figure out how you can sort of hit that intersection. And I do, I do wonder how people feel when the guy down the road, his produce is selling for the same price as yours, but like he's really not treating his workers right. Maybe not even following the law. And that's why I never understand why people are willing to close rank. It doesn't make good business sense, even if it makes ethical sense. I'm, I I never understood why like good employers are 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 willing to close rank with uh you know with a guy down the road who's you know who's really not doing what he needs to do. Because I don't know why you, I I don't know why you'd want to have his back because he's undercutting you.
2: That's an interesting point. And I think we're going to segue that right over to Mike because Mike seems to have found, uh, well, in Napa Valley, at any rate, where that's not happening. I mean, everyone's paying their 10 bucks, right? An yeah. Acre.
3: yeah. Um, we, again, we we appreciate these guys so much. And we understand that if they're not working for us, they can easily work for somebody else. And that could be a really big problem for us. So it's very personal. Um A lot of times, uh, uh, um, first of all, like I said, uh, migrant doesn't always mean that they're coming from out of the country, they're coming across the country. Migrant also doesn't mean that they just show here to do one task, which is pick. Now they can do something here and go to another county and come back, but typically in Napa, the guys that we have uh, doing our pruning in March are the same guys that we have doing our harvest in October. And it's very important because we almost give them a sense of ownership. And it's not just something that we're given to them. It's something that is necessary for all of us to act together. When I go out in the vineyard with my guys, I tell them what I want. And then they tell me how they're going to do it. And, and, and that's so important because I don't have to tell them how to do their job. They're very good at it. As a matter of fact, if I told them how to do it, I would probably be wrong. And so it's very important for them to have it. Um, Another thing that um, um, I wanted to make a point was, is, uh, what Steve was talking about is it, to get them together and to have them talk, uh, there's a stigma with undocumented. And in Napa, we don't ask. We don't care. We don't ask. If you're undocumented, you can work the exact same as a guy who is documented. We don't ask. Um, that's your business. That's not ours. And in light of that, also what, what we're finding is that with our crews, more and more, they're becoming more and more women. That's who you talk to. If you want to get something done, talk to the ladies. (laughs) The crew chief is one thing, but if you really want to get the word throughout the entire community, throughout the entire set, talk to the women. They have the pull. Nobody argues with them. The, The guys will go off to the side and argue and argue and argue. When the woman comes along, that's it. It's done. So, Mike,
2: is that is that a a cultural that is a cultural norm that you think might be overlooked is using use, uh, you know, maybe relying on women to help be this with the soft skills with the communication?
3: Um, I don't really think. there's that anecdotal? <laughs> yeah, 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 I believe so. Um, I think in all cultures, because you also think about, okay, uh, you go in there and I go into my farm center and there's some resistance. And you think, oh, well, there's a cultural thing. Well, look at the country overall, as far as the vaccine goes. There's resistance. And I, I think they have the exact that that our farm worker community has the exact same resistance as society overall. And so you have to deal with that and you have to accept that. But uh, like Steve was talking about, come on into a room, sit down and do it. Like Elizabeth was talking about, we don't care about the 10 different things. We care about the one thing. And so it's really important to focus on as an owner, as an operator with a vineyard is engaging them and being part of the team not the only leader of the team but being part of the team uh, and 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 keep it in mind with all that but especially pulling the women close because they're going to pull the they're going to pull everybody else in
2: it's very interesting that the demographic of this you know vulnerable community is shifting to include more women oh, yeah, um, yeah. and women you know, women have as many or more health issues as men. And when I think about when I start to think about the the types of support that a, that this community needs with regard to health care and with regard to um, life care, you know, women bear children. <laughs> so there's, you know, there's a, a significant uh, health care factor there as well for that, you know, that demographic. Well, I don't I don't have uh, a lot of like key, key topics that I want to address and we do still have some time. We have about you know 15 more minutes here to go. So I really want to open the floor and, and just open the floor to see what it is we maybe haven't talked about. Have we discussed the elephant in the room of migration, immigration status enough? Or are there other, other things that we need to, to you know, touch on before we're done?
0: Well, I just like to just mention. I mean, you know, we're we're talking trying to be sort of solution oriented here, but you know, when Mike talks about the cost of housing in in the Napa Valley, I mean, it's a major problem. It's a major problem for farm workers, and it's also a major problem for hospitality workers and restaurant workers. And so, um, you know, like if we don't get over some of the nimbyism, you know, it's 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 just getting harder and harder, not easier and easier. You know, like, um, and so, so um, there's this sort of denial that people that work need, you know, don't also need a place to live. And so, so that, so that we, we that really has to be dealt with. I mean, and, and it's, and it's really just the will of just getting the word out and the will of the people because they just need to be, you know, uh, we need to have the votes basically to allow affordable housing to happen in our community.
3: Uh, more than affordable housing, it's workforce housing that we need. We just need yeah, workforce. workforce housing, and you know it's real hard, especially in Napa, because we have so much ag preserve that you can't build on. Yeah, and so it's very difficult for us. But um, I know as Napa Housing Commissioner, we're trying to open up a couple of things uh, as far as existing housing goes, and we're trying to get front door keys in people's hands and from my perspective, in vineyard workers' hands, in cellar workers' hands, um, in production area hands, because it is, whether you want to argue that we're the industry or not, we are. It's, it's as simple as that. Um, there, there isn't any looking around. And Steve has a point with, you know, this NIMBY. I, I, I just heard one the other day, banana. Build absolutely nothing, anytime, anywhere. Boy, do we yeah, run yeah. into that a lot here. And can't have it. And so we have to have density. There's nothing wrong with affordable apartments. There's nothing wrong with um, 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 bringing in families, but we have to bring them into the cities because they have to have services. Uh, We can't just open up the county. There's the ag preserve that we can't do. There's also a problem with opening up the county for housing because there's not services out there. And Mm -hmm. in the city, if we want families, we're talking about kids, we're talking about um, um, spouses uh, working as well. And we need services. We need bus services. We need transportation. We need all this stuff going on. And so it's really important to infill the cities as far as it goes. But to get past the NIMBY and infill is just brutal. And so it's 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 just one avenue. Um, the housing is one avenue and it's an important one. Even if they live over in Fairfield and they come here, we have to make sure that they work safe. And that's an important thing too. I've been really liking that over the last few years, seeing um, just like in, in industry, in most industries, uh, a lot of, of the vineyard teams have um, pre-job meetings. So they'll come here, they'll meet, and we'll all talk about what's gonna happen today. Heat stress, just that. Um, just make sure that everybody's taking a break, everybody's having water. If you're the vineyard guy, if it's your vineyard, it's up to you to make sure that everybody is following that lead from the front. And it's very important. So safety, are they wearing safety glasses? Do they need safety glasses? Like Steve was talking about where the women can't always lift up those 40 pounds. They'll work that out. It's okay. Um, Like he was saying, you get together and the ladies will cut and the young guys will take it over and pour it. You don't, you don't have to have a team meeting about that they're going to figure it out. It's real easy. And so all that kind of stuff is, and, and that's safety too. You're not having them over there restraining and trying to pull those up. It's all good stuff. They'll work that out. They know what they're doing. And, and believe me, because it's not the women lifting it, they'll get it done real quick, real quick, real quick.
2: Well, I think, I think that the, the conversation, it revolves around a few very, very key issues, but talking about uh the need for workforce housing and actually actually having the legislative will to build workforce housing is another thing entirely so elizabeth is there anything on the front there in terms of policy that might help us with this
1: um if you, you know there's there's a lot of uh sort of uh funding and reexamining what infrastructure is there's a lot of uh you know rural development and 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 so forth you know sort of projects like that both at the federal level at the state level once you're dealing with individual counties like obviously this is not something that that can be dealt with effectively at the federal level other than with carrots okay. there's certainly yeah. no sticks that you can have uh put in place but um I do. I do always keep in mind with um, particularly with farm labor contractors and with uh, employers that do have, um, you know, some level of employer provided housing that does create um, both the employer and, you know, uh, the community in general need to think about the the layers of uh, vulnerability that come when your employer provides your housing. Any of these um, additional areas where your employer is in charge of your life? Whether it is they're you know uh dependent uh on their employers for um uh transportation whether they're uh dependent on their employer for housing whether uh you know they're um you know their kid is gonna have to move to a different school district if they you know if there's a change in their employment status like all of these things they they can intersect and, and people do need to be really power you know mindful of those structures of power and the yeah, more that absolutely. um you know there is that sort of uh independence is uh you know it's 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 a it's a it's it's something to consider um, when you think about the the addressing the barriers with your uh, you know with your neighbors in the communities nearby that are trying to say don't put any you know uh, low income housing here like that's i mean that's just that just deepens the problem so you know the, the more that these can be holistic communities that are for autonomous, you know, empowered people that, you know, it's, that's not always easy, especially as the market rate on uh, real estate goes up and, you know, that's, that's real. I mean, and, and, there's part there's many parts of California where the public school teachers can't afford to live in the communities that they work in because, you know uh, yeah, I know a pediatrician who, who commutes for an hour uh, because she lives in the Bay area and she can't afford to live in the Bay area. So, you know, it's, it, it
2: there's it's it's a
1: messy
2: one. Yeah, there's definitely no there's no obvious solution. I don't know, Steve. Do you want to weigh in? Our time is uh, winding down, so do you want to take a stab?
0: Well, I mean, another just another major um, issue that still needs to be surmounted with vineyard work. Liz, at the very beginning, mentioned how dangerous it is and hard physical labor. That you know the 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 traditional old school pattern was this you get a wave of young people come up from mexico destroy their bodies over 10 or 15 years and head back down to mexico hopefully by then they built a house and it, it figured something out well that's like that just is not exist anymore we're not getting a waves of young people coming up anymore and we have to figure out how that to to change the job so that it doesn't destroy your body that you can just keep on doing it you know so, you know like our like you know I mean um our I can't do this stuff anymore I just ripped my fingernail off two days ago shoulder surgery knee surgery I'm in my fifties like you know Juan is our our main tractor driver is fifty six so I'm trying you know we're trying to get him um taught on how to use a computer you know because he'll be um when we're trying, we ordered one of these Monarch self-driving tractors. And so hopefully Juan will be operating the tractor. Right. So you're upskilling. Juan
2: is upskilling.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He's a phenomenal tractor driver. So how are, you know, how are we going to use, because, you know, he, he can go into, I don't have to, he doesn't have to be managed. He can go into any vineyard and knows what to do. So the beat, so, so if we, if we call that, that's his intellectual capital. If we can figure out, if, we, if he can just drive that tractor from his phone, then, you know, you know, Alicia, I, I'm not, so we have to figure out she's 58. She, you know, she, we, she, we don't have her like pound it using a post hole digger. She's using more finger stuff with her knowledge of vines, shoot, thinning, pruning, fruit, thinning, lateral removal, pulling, you know, wires, tying. So it's not as physically demanding, but it's still out in the heat and on her feet you know, all day, every single day. And so how are we going to um, allow Alicia to keep working in the vineyards? Like, you know, so, you know, we we we're, we can specialize to a certain degree, but someone's still got to do the brute force stuff and putting in a new end post. So like, do we buy, you know, figure out like an auger on our tractor? I mean, you know, is this how do we buy tools or figure out how to reconfigure these jobs so that people can do them into their, you know, actually have a career as a vineyard worker, as opposed to, blow their back out by the time they're 35 and then you get someone new that's the it's a mind shift for california agriculture to start think that way
2: absolutely well thank you for being on the forefront of that with the monarch tractor because having written about the monarch and i'm very very excited about technology in the vineyard and how it's going to change the face of work for the labor in the vineyard hopefully but that's this is the very beginning of that journey toward that you know ultimate goal of you know of mechanized labor that really takes advantage of the skills people have um to use the use the technology so i'm going to continue to write about those subjects hopefully maybe including voices like mike and, and and liz and other people in that discussion as well too now having a broader understanding of how we can look at the combination of mechanization and physical labor in the vineyard. So I see that as an area that could we could definitely use more uh, visibility for and more communication about. Absolutely. For any of you those journalists, any of those journalists that I invited to attend this session you <laughs> want a good story. There it is. Okay. Well, we, we still haven't, we we we've got our six minutes left. So Mike, do you have any parting comments?
3: Yeah, um, we were talking about um, um, housing, and it it it's 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 so important to get past the stigma of affordable housing. Like migrant farm workers, well, they're not they're just crossing lines, and they're not here just for two weeks out of here. The same with affordable housing. Affordable housing doesn't mean that the projects are going to be around the corner from you. This is, I mean, affordable housing is my goodness. If you're less than 100,000 in the household, you need affordable housing. That's a pretty good, that's a pretty good amount coming in. Um, It's just working families coming in so that stigma has to go away. And so you can't have this NIMBY and, 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 and that's so prevalent, especially here in Napa with the house prices. And that starts with everybody here is that you have to get through your head that affordable housing is workforce housing and, These are regular people. You're not bringing crime into your neighborhood. You're not bringing more traffic into your neighborhood. You're just bringing working families in there, and that's community. And another thing to consider with that, and it's a tough one, it's being an advocate for it. For everybody who stands up as NIMBY in a city council meeting and wants to argue against it, you have to be ready for that and have three or four people stand up and argue for it. It's very important to be as much of an advocate for it as they want to be an advocate against it. And that all starts with everybody listening right here to get in your head that this is very important housing and this is workforce housing. It's community. And we have that's one thing that we have in Napa that's different than anybody else. We have so much housing problems here. We have so much second homes and, uh, crazy price housing. That it's very difficult. And when we can build it, we have to build it. It's 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 critical that we build it. Which means everybody has to stand up because the it's it's a very small minority who oppose it. But they're a vocal minority. Very vocal. We yeah. Be, yeah, we have to be a loud minority, and it's as simple <laughs> as that take an hour and go down to the city council meeting it's once a month and stand up and just say i'm in favor for you don't have to have an eloquent argument you don't have to have all your facts all you have to do is stand up and go i'm in favor of this and let your voice be heard
2: i love it mike thank you for that actionable um that actionable uh shout out because it's something that that anyone in the ag community can do to help try to address this problem. And it's a very simple thing um, that could have some really, you know, positive benefits for this community. Um, and for the industry at large, I mean, we are the ag, we are the ag community, right? We're fortunate we have community amongst ourselves. We have, we can't seem to solve all our problems though, <laughs> but at least we tackled it. Well, we, we are winding down here, Steve, I'm going to let you have the final word thank you so much for your participation Mike and for Liz who's left us but Steve
0: well I'm just glad that as part of a conference on sustainability we're talking about um, field workers because you know that's that's it's always been one of the challenges in the sustainability movement I mean you know I co-wrote the sustainability workbook in Lodi back in 1999 and we had a the majority of our book at that time was dedicated to soils and habitat and water. And our, and we, we had a human, human section in there, but it wasn't very filled out. We didn't at the, you know, we were agricultural scientists and we didn't know really what all, how much, what to even put in there. We just knew that we needed to have something and, you know, that's developed over the years, but it's always, it's, it's the, can be the poor stepchild of of this in the sustainability movement. And just recently it's taking more, of the center stage. And so that's exactly the right direction.
2: I think you hit the nail on the head. You know, the more we start talking about the whole re- concept of regenerative uh, mm-hmm. farming. And this is one of the pieces of that puzzle that you know has has been a bit of an underdog in the discussion, just like you know, education has been a bit of an underdog in the discussion we had earlier about diversity and about empowerment. So mm-hmm. I want to thank I wanna thank our panelists, Mike Swanton and Steve Mathiason. Keep up the good work. We're behind you 110%, and hopefully we'll get some uh, some good news stories out of this session that can help support the work that you're doing.